Welcome back to Two Jane Does. Hi. As always, you know, November is the month of Thanksgiving, so we're still doing our thing with the Raleigh County Humane Society. Um, if you keep an eye on our Facebook and Instagram, we have some final decals that are up for $3 donation. And if you do make a donation, your name gets put in the drawing. And if you like, share, tag a couple friends, and comment done, you also get additional injuries. Um, and then, of course, if you actually donate physical items, too. Um, and every week we have sponsor dogs. And this week we have two. And the first one is Mr. Finn, who is a three-year-old male cattle dog mix. He is fairly new to the shelter and only been there since June of this year. He hasn't been tested with other dogs, but they said that he should not be an issue with other dogs. He has the most gorgeous little eyeballs, and he has extremely soft fur. Finn was super laid back, and although he is young, he would seem to have quite an old soul because he was very calm. Oh, yeah. Um, he wouldn't even take a treat from Kayla when she tried to give it to him. He was just, like, poking around the pen. Kind of like, meh. But he was very sweet. Life's good. Yeah, like, he did perfect on a leash. He, like, when Kayla went to give him a treat, he sat, did the whole nine yards, but just didn't want the treat. Um, like I said, <laughs> he's very polite and very gentle. We feel as though he would make a great dog for an older couple or a single-person home. So somewhere where things are a little bit calm. Um, if you do have kids, obviously... Teach kids how to treat animals. Yes, please. And I think that he would be fine with them because he was, a, like I said, very relaxed dog. Um, and then the second one was a recommendation from one of the volunteer coordinators with the Humane Society, Alexis Johnston. She wanted us to showcase one of their senior pups. And her name is Ruth. Uh, both of their pictures and information are on our Facebook and Instagram. And she said that Ruth came to the shelter from less than stellar conditions. However, she does get along with other dogs, loves a good walk, and is always in the mood to soak up attention. So, And she was. When we met her while we were at LA East, she was all about the attention. Yes, she was. Um, so, good pets, good belly scratches and rubs. She's all about it. Um, they aren't quite sure how old she is, which tends to happen with a lot of these dogs that are either surrendered or picked up as strays. Um, but they say she's still actually young in heart. And if you'd see her excited, butt wiggles, uh, you would agree. So, as always, if you want any more information on these dogs, go to the Humane Society's page or give them a call. Drop our name and get you a discount. Yes. Wah, wah, wah. So anyways, <laughs> let's dive into the case that we're going to be talking about today. Moving into the real reason. Which is going to be the Redhead Murders, a.k.a. the Bible Belt Strangler. Ooh. So, do you live in the Bible Belt area and have red hair? Nah, sis, I'm over in that. But you live in the Bible Belt area. But if you have red hair... You might have been a targeted victim for this serial killer. Let's talk about it. Woo -woo.
This podcast contains some adult language, graphic descriptions of crime scenes, sexual assault, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. The Redhead Murders refers to a series of unsolved homicides of redhead females in the United States between October 1978 and 1992, believed to have been committed by an unidentified male serial killer. The murders believed to be related have occurred in states including Tennessee, Arkansas, Kentucky, Mississippi, Pennsylvania, and good old West Virginia. The murders may have continued until 1992. The victims, many remaining unidentified for years, were usually women with reddish hair whose bodies were abandoned along major highways in the United States. Kind of like Bitter Creek Betty. A little bit, yep. Officials believe that that the women were likely hitchhiking or may have engaged in sex work. Which is another... I mean, you can relate that to Bitter Creek Betty. It's hard mm-hmm. to tell if she was hitchhiking or if she had been doing some sex work. I mean, it's it's hard to say. Right. But ultimately, authorities are unsure how many people were responsible for these murders, if they were all performed by the same perpetrator, and how many victims there have been. It is believed that there may have been a total of 6 to 11 victims. Of the presumed victims, four were identified by November of 2018, and the suspect was informally called the Bible Belt Strangler in 2018 because of the territory where the bodies were found. Homie, that's 28 years. Yeah. Yeah, it took them 28 years to... Is that 28 years? Is it 28 years? Eight. No, 26. I can't do the math. 1992 plus eight... Get you to 2,000 plus 18. 18 plus 8 is 26, so it's 26. I don't know where 28 came from. I mean, it's even <laughs> longer as, you know, some of these people were murdered in 1978. Oh, yeah, I can't do I can't do the math from 78. That's too much. So, but I mean, yeah, it took them that long to identify only four. And it's hard to say how many people were actually a victim of this person or persons because they couldn't be identified maybe they couldn't even be found it's hard to say they could have been strung into a different type of serial killer case you never know and i'm lying it's been about 40 years if they were murdered in 1978 i'm gonna say about because i can't promise you that that's the correct answer (laughs) we can't do math (laughs) (laughs) So, some of the victims included 28-year-old Lisa Nichols from West Virginia. She was found September 16, 1984, along Interstate 40 near West Memphis, Arkansas. She was wearing only a sweater. Authorities were not able to identify and contact her family members for some time, indicating that Nichols was estranged from them. She was not identified until June of 1985, so a year later nine months to be exact to be exact (laughs) um after she was strangled she was identified through fingerprints nichols is believed to have been a victim in what is known as the redhead murders common characteristics are her hair color reddish or strawberry blonde and being found along a highway nichols may have been murdered after leaving a truck stop 
along the highway and may have attempted to hitchhike. Again, I feel like most of these victims are just kind of like allegations that they might be a part of this. So oh, yeah, because I mean, it sounds like we don't even have a killer. You, we'll get to that in the end. Okay. So <laughs> another victim that we have is Tina Farmer, who is around 21 or 22 years old from Indiana. She was found January 1st, 1985, near Jellicoe, Tennessee, down an embankment off the southbound side of Interstate 75. The remains were in an advanced state of decomposition as she was killed approximately 72 hours before, making her death occurring December 1984. She too was killed by strangulation. She was Caucasian, had shoulder-length curly red hair. However, unlike Lisa, she was found clothed in a tan pullover, a shirt, and jeans. Additionally, there was some little aftercare to this because she was wrapped in a blanket which later found to have semen fluid on it. She had freckles over her body and various scars, including a burn mark on one arm. She was also 10 to 12 weeks pregnant when she died. Aww. She was not identified until September of 2018 through fingerprints. At the time of her death, she was last seen accompanied by a trucker headed to Kentucky. Farmer had one daughter prior to disappearing in 1984. She was reported missing by her family at the time, yet authorities in Indiana did not enter her into national database. Mm. The state did not have a law common to many other states requiring law enforcement to enter unidentified victims into this database. So that's why it took them so long to identify her. Which is crazy because you would think in the mid-80s they would have some kind of database for unidentified victims. I think I said this before, and I'm going to say it again. I think the 70s and 80s was a great time to be a serial killer. That's terrifying. Um, also... Um, I mean, they got away with a bunch of stuff, you know? I mean, clearly. And the further we dive into this case, it really is sounding more and more like uh, Bitter Creek Betty. Yeah. Which is insane. If you haven't listened to that episode, please go back all the way to episode one. It's terrible, but you should still watch it. I mean, listen to it. Listen. Yeah, watch it. Yeah. Yeah, here we are, like 20 episodes later. We're still really not that better, but we're trying. Uh, in Campbell County, Tennessee, uh, a Jane Doe, estimated to be between the age of 9 and 15, was found on April 3rd, 1985 about 200 yards off Big Wheel Gap Road, four miles southwest of Jellicoe, Tennessee, in Campbell County, near Strip Mine. She was believed to have been dead between one and four years, as all that remained of her was her skeleton. She was found by a passerby. Her cause of death is undetermined, which does not rule out homicide, clearly. 32 bones, including her skull, were recovered from the scene. Her skull was complete enough to permit a facial reconstruction attempt. A necklace and bracelet made of plastic buttons were found nearby, as well as a pair of size 5 boots and a few scraps of clothing. Now, with the size 5, that would make you lean way towards a younger... A younger age. A younger age. Yeah, or I mean a very because petite I, person. Yeah, it would have to be a very petite person because I don't know a 15-year-old that wears a size 5. 
But, I mean, shoot, we know eight-year-olds that are wearing eight and a half. I mean, yeah. You know? So, hmm. Hmm, hmm, hmm. These items may or may not belong to her. Her hair and eye collar are unknown. Her age range is below the median for the other victims, but the circumstances of her death may connect her to them due to the area that she was found in. The knot in the cloth found in a piece of material found tied around the neck of the Campbell County Jane Doe, very similar to the knot in a piece of material found tied around a survivor of an assault, Linda Shackle's neck, two months following the Campbell County victim. Recent forensic analysis of the victim's remains indicated that she was not native to the area where she was discovered. The test showed that she was likely born in Florida or Central Texas and had later lived in the Midwest, Rocky Mountain states, the Southwest, or the Pacific Coast. So, they haven't really narrowed it down that much. No, and I just realized that I totally left out the similarity for Tina Farmer. <laughs> And that, I mean, it is still the uh, knot tied in the cloth that was also found with Tina Farmer. Okay, so that so, seems to be the link between these cases is there's a knot tied in the cloth. Right, okay. and, and the survivor of an assault, um, she did manage to escape, but the perpetrator did tie a knot in a piece of material and try to strangle her with that. Huh, and it seems as though she couldn't give any identifying information to her mm. assaulter. No. So another victim is the Cheatham County, Tennessee Jane Doe. The skeletonized body of a red-haired female was found on March 31st, 1985 in Pleasant View, Cheatham County, Tennessee. She was believed to have died between three and five months previously due to an unknown cause. However, her case is possibly linked to the redhead murders because her remains were found at the side of Interstate 24 between mile markers 29 and 30. And this is like the biggest trend they have going for them in this entire case is that all these women are pretty much found along an interstate. Just dumped beside the highway. Yep. Unlike some of the other victims, she was wearing clothing, a shirt, sweater, pants, and underwear. She was Caucasian, between 5 feet and 5 feet 2 inches tall. Her weight cannot be determined, and an examination of her teeth showed that the victim had some evidence of crowding and overlapping in her mouth. This woman was believed to be between the ages of 31 and 40 at the time of her death. She has, unfortunately, not been identified to this day. That's crazy. Again, people, it's 2021 and we still have Jane Doe's. If yeah. you have any information, call somebody. Let anybody know. Yeah. It's insane. Okay. S.B. Pilgrim, estimated to be between 24 and 35 years old, from North Carolina. She was not identified until October 2018 through a DNA match made between her and her grown daughter, who said her mother disappeared when she was just six weeks old. Espy was found on April 1st, 1985, in a large white Admiral refrigerator in Gray, Knox County, Kentucky, alongside Route 25. She was found in a freezer, y'all. Yeah, which is very, it's not typical from the other cases because everyone else was just kind of tossed aside like garbage. Well, refrigerator. I guess a freezer and a refrigerator are two different things. God, this is going to be terrible. Um, 
Her death was by suffocation. She had been dead for a few days and was nude except for two distinctive necklace pendants. One of a heart and the other of a gold-collared eagle and two pairs of socks. One white and the other white with green and yellow stripes. The refrigerator had a decal of the word Superwoman on the front. Distinguishing features of the body included a number of moles on the right side of her neck, near one ankle, and below each breast, a yellow stained upper incisor, and a scar and other marks on her abdomen indicating that she had a child. Her eyes were light brown and her hair was red and nearly a foot long, which fit the pattern for the redhead murders. It is also possible that she owned the pair of boots found near the refrigerator. Several missing persons have been eliminated as possible matches for the victim. There were reports that the victim may have been soliciting a ride to North Carolina over CB radio. 500 people attended at the Jane Doe's funeral, which was televised. The case was a local sensation in gray as the town was a quiet and sleepy place where a little out of the ordinary usually happened. Yeah, so at the time she, you know, the time that her funeral did occur, she was still considered a Jane Doe Mm -hmm. and no one knew who she was. I do find it very strange that 500 people attended and and nobody knew her. Like, that's just a little weird to me, but... But if she wasn't from there... I mean, this is true, and I mean... If she was a hitchhiker that came from, uh, you know, North Carolina, like they were possibly um, suggesting, or maybe she was... Soliciting a ride to North Carolina. I don't know. So, I mean, if she was soliciting a ride to North Carolina but ended up in Kentucky, you know, who's to say she's from Kentucky? Well, I mean, this is true. I mean, they did identify her as being from North Carolina. So, it's possible that these people were just like, this is some out-of-the-ordinary stuff going on here. I have to be here so I can gossip about it later. I mean. Mm, True. Mm. And then we have some other suspected victims that weren't necessarily confirmed to have been a part of the Redhead murders, but it's because they were so similar that they are like, yeah, they could be victims. Maybe. Could be related. Um, so the first one is the Wetzel County, West Virginia, Jane Doe. Ooh. Uh, she was found on February 13th, 1983. Um, She was completely naked and found alongside Route 250 near Littleton in Wetzel County. A pair of senior citizens reported the body, which they originally had thought was a display mannequin. Whoa. The body had been placed at the area recently as snow was on the ground but not on the body. Police said that tire tracks and footprints nearby indicated that she was likely transported to the site after death from another location. Their examination concluded that she had died about two days previously and was not a victim of sexual assault. Her cause of death was undetermined. Her hair was auburn. And by 1985, she was linked possibly to other redheaded women found as homicide victims whose death seemed to be related. That makes me think of Elizabeth Short. Mm-hmm. How she was like, not that this woman was dismembered or anything, but how they thought she was like some kind of mannequin too. Where she was just displayed there. Yeah. Woman and her kid was just like walking down the road. She was like, Mom, what's that in the bushes? It's a naked lady with everything cut off. I just just don't understand how you can 
get away with just dumping a body like that. I mean, there, there's people everywhere. I mean, everywhere. It is so hard to go somewhere and not be like, oh yeah, I've seen that guy do that. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. But I mean, we know these kind of roads and places here in West Virginia. You know, it could have been like the yeah. middle of nowhere. You just dump a body and get out. You can go up any back back road in the backwoods. Oh, <laughs> West Virginia. <laughs> and dump them. Just like people dump their trash in the, in the rivers. <laughs> Not that people are trash. But anyways, transitioning. Um, Elizabeth Lamont, who was not identified until November 2018, which... That seems to be becoming a trend. Nobody, none of these victims were A, identified at all, or B, identified, you know, 20 plus years later. Yeah. So, she was found on April 14th, 1985. Her body was found in Greenville, which is in Greene County, Tennessee. She was determined to have been killed between three and six weeks previously by severe blood force trauma and possibly a stab wound. Her body was in an advanced state of decomposition, and police were able to obtain her fingerprints as well as DNA and dental information. So, even though she was in an advanced decomp, they were, they were able to pull some stuff from her, which was great. But they still couldn't identify her until 2018, so... I'm just saying. At least they stored it. True. So, she had been approximately six to eight, week, eight weeks pregnant shortly before she died, but had miscarried before death. Uh, because she had light brown to blonde hair with red highlights, her case was thought to be possibly related to the redhead murders. And when she was finally identified in 2018, it was determined that she was 17 at the time of her death. Lamont had disappeared on April 6, 1984. And going back, she disappeared on the 6th. She was found on the 14th, so not even a week later. Yeah. Um, she was identified through DNA uh, match after a DNA profile was obtained from the Lamotte's family by New Hampshire police in 2017. Hold up. So if she Hold was up. from New Hampshire, she'd made it all the way to Tennessee. Right. She disappeared a year before she died, homie. Oh, was it a year? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Going back to this not knowing how to do math, just go with it. Okay. <laughs> um, she had been staying at a group home in Manchester, New Hampshire, and never returned to her family after getting furlough. Lamont's family was initially asked for a DNA profile to compare the adult women, woman victim of the Bear Brook murders, which I really hope we get to cover this case. It's a lot, but it's a good one. If you haven't listened to the podcast on the Bear Brook Murders, you need to go do that because it's a good one. Anywho, an unidentified girlfriend of the suspect who went by the alias of Robert Evans was known by the first name of Elizabeth. Which is why they thought she might have been a victim of the Bear Brook Murders. Mm -hmm. And Robert Evans was later revealed to be a serial killer, Terry Peter Rasmussen. Or Rasmussen? Rasmussen? I think it might be Rasmussen. Hmm. Anyways, it's an unnecessarily long last name. Feel free to Google them. <laughs> so now you have the background for 
the murders, the trend of being a red-haired female. Possibly sex worker or just hitchhiker. And being dumped along interstates throughout the Bible Belt area. Yep. So that brings us to the killer. Who is it? It is believed that most of the victims remain unidentified due to being estranged or not close to existing family members. Which would make sense. And I feel like that's not so common for that era. Mm -hmm. Due to everything that was going on at that time. They also may not have been native to the states in which they were found in. And in 1985, not long after the Greene County victim was found, the states of Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Arkansas, and Mississippi requested that the FBI assist with the cases. There were inconsistencies. <laughs> what? <laughs> face. <clears throat> what, my face? Yeah. Oh, sorry. I'm fat and I was sitting with one leg underneath me. <laughs> And now my ankle feels like it is made of glass and is going to break. <sighs> there were inconsistencies among some of the victims and characteristics of the crime scenes, as some were found with or without clothing and some had a sexual encounter before their murders. During the conference, it was stated that four victims found in Texas and a victim found in 1981 in Ohio, nicknamed Buckskin Girl, later identified as Marcia King, were ruled out in 1985 as possible victims in the Redhead murders. And in 2019, DNA evidence identified convicted kidnapper Jerry Leon Johns, terrible name, as the man that killed Tina Farmer in December of 1984. However, Johns died in prison in 2015. He was previously convicted in 1987 of aggravated kidnapping assault, and other crimes in the attack on a woman. Linda Shack, that he had picked up in Knox County, Tennessee, two months after Farmer's disappearance and death. Shack was the one survivor. Mm-hmm. The one survivor. Uh, she survived the attack, obviously, after she was bound, strangled, and dumped along I-40. Her testimony assisted in putting Johns behind bars, but he, he was dismissed as the redhead murderer, like Farmer and the Campbell County Jane Doe, Shaq had been choked with a piece of cloth ripped from her t-shirt, bound, and left for dead inside a storm drain under I-40 near Watt Road. Like other potential victims of the redhead murders, Shaq also had red hair. On December 18, 2019, a grand jury in Campbell County, Tennessee, ruled that Johns would have been indicted for murder and Farmer's death if he were still alive. Despite his exclusion from the case, it was announced that DNA from Johns was matched to Tina Farmer via CODIS in 2016. He did it. Maybe. Probs. There was another suspect, um, a 32-year-old trucker in Pennsylvania, who was questioned after kidnapping and raping a young woman in the state of Indiana. She, too, managed to escape before more injury. And, unfortunately, the suspect was dismissed from the investigation after being questioned by Tennessee police. But, if you remember, the case that we covered... Who was that that we did? Who? Bitter Creek Betty? Nope, not Bitter Creek Betty. Every, I'm telling you, everything goes back to Bitter Creek Betty. No, it was... um. He's been convicted already. Who the fuck was that? 
Are you checking talking about Tommy Lynn sales? Yes. That's it. Yeah. So, I mean, if you remember about Tommy Lynn sales, he got away with a lot for a long time before they actually found him. So, it's kind of hard to say whether, you know, that trucker from Pennsylvania could have been involved. We don't know. Because as we stated before, it could have been a single person or it could have been multiple people. I'm telling you, I still like it's the gross guy from Bitter Creek Benny. That's who it was. But I'm you sure let us know. Who who do you think it was? Was it this this John's guy? Was it this random trucker from Pennsylvania? Mm-hmm. Or was it the guy all the way from our first episode, Bitter Creek Betty, who, let me remind you, had a nice route mm-hmm. from one side of the country to the other side of the country and did a lot of damage in between. Yeah, left a lot of wreckage. And guess what? Your guess would be as good as anybody else's because they have no one. Other than somebody who's already dead. But they can't tack into the other people. So, what you gonna do? If you're a redhead, dye your hair. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. I hope you have fun with this uh, dumpster fire of an episode. Because neither one of us could get our shit together today. But uh, it's been great talking into this microphone and looking at Kayla's lovely face. Been a long day, y'all. Enjoy. Don't die. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Two Jane Does. I'm Emily. And I'm Kayla. Remember to tune in every Monday now at 8 p.m. as we dive into a new case. Please follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, and leave us a good review. Catch us on Facebook at Two Jane Does, where you can find updates on our episodes and links to our other social media accounts. If you have any cases that you want us to cover and go into detail with, you can leave us a message there.